Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. One, two, three, break! Down the middle of the field, it is caught! Loose football! Who's got it? One yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL podcast. It is the Wild Card Weekend Friday show. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down this weekend's action is Chris Raybon a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bets on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action app, the Action Network app, at Chris Raybon. Chris, happy 2019 to you. For my New Year's resolutions, I plan on taking unmerited victory laps, I guess more than I took this year. What about you? Well, happy New Year, Friedman. Happy anniversary as well. You know, I know it's the same day. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have a resolution yet, man. I mean, oh yeah, I have a resolution. Two, actually, two. One, my visits to the Action Network headquarters in, uh, <laughs> in Midtown, the over-under for the year uh-huh. is actually set at four and a half. So got to beat that over-under. I think that's a pretty low bar. And uh, also my number two is, I think I might have told you guys this or said this on the pod, but you know, it's been such a crazy year, first year here that uh, I actually got mad in the day it came out sometime in August and uh, didn't even open it, take it out of the plastic <laughs> until like November. So um I got uh, shouts to my grandma. She got me NBA 2K19 for Christmas. I haven't played it yet. It is out of the plastic, though, so um, i got to play more games. got to get a couple more games in. I mean, I would say I think the uh, the resolution should be to hit the under on having to go into the office. <laughs> I think clearly you, you want to be on the under. It might be hard, though, because let's say maybe there's like one meeting or so, like a company-wide meeting or something, yeah. something like in New York. Like that might require you to go in one or two times. And then like maybe you have to go in one time for some recording thing. You know, like I, I think you'll probably hit the over. It's, yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I'm not a big... Um, proponent of, you know, going into an office when I can work remotely, especially during the season, just because like in New York, even though we have the subway at our disposal, it's still like, you know, the inefficiency of, you know, getting ready, going to do the commute and whatnot. But the office is really fun, honestly. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of cool people there from Blackjack and and Evan and all the guys. And and of course, we have Darren Ravel in there now, our new CEO, Patrick Keene. You know, when, when I saw, when I met him for the first time, he had a pair of retro Air Jordan 3's on, so I, I kind of told him that I might have to uh, come to the office to have a little sneaker battle with him. So, I mean, just a lot of a lot of fun things going on. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say the real over under is number of times per week you shower. Like as long as you're hitting whatever, <laughs> whatever bar you're setting on that, oh, as long man. as you are hitting the over, then I, I think you're succeeding at life. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not bad at showering. Um, you know, I, I let the beard grow out sometimes, you know, as I'm sure people have seen if they see me on TV, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with the showering. I'm, I'm keeping my, trying to keep my haircuts up too, but, uh, <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's progress here on the Wednesday show. We had Peter Jennings, Sean corner and Ian Harditz. We looked at the four game slate through a DFS perspective for this episode, we're going to break down each game this weekend and then also look at the Saturday and Sunday two game slates. As you are listening to the show, please rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. For all of our written content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. You can get our weekly fantasy rankings at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. It is the playoffs, and we are still doing rankings. That is how committed we are. Chris, I mean... I want to address the elephant in the room, although you don't even know it's an elephant. But uh, last week on the the Flex Pod, so we didn't have the normal Friday breakdown pod. We had the Flex Pod. You didn't do so well. Got to say, you were three and eleven on the props. Uh, I was I was eight and four. I mean, not that that really means anything, but just thought wow. I would. The uh, the apocalypse is nigh. And then uh, the week before that, week sixteen. That wasn't so good to you either. Not gonna lie, I got lucky to be uh, five hundred. You were zero five and one. Ooh, so that's what three and fourteen or something like that. Oh, that's yeah. bad. That's bad. Yeah, oh, it was man. by far the, the worst week you've had. So anyway, not counting the props since week fourteen, you are seven eleven and two, and I'm eight eleven and one. Basically, people should never listen to anything we have to say. <laughs> uh, with that said, but let's talk about the first game of the wild card weekend. We have the sixth seeded Colts at the third seeded Texans. The Texans favored by one, a forty eight point five over under. The spread is down from three. Sharp money has been backing the Colts. The total is up from 48. This is a divisional rubber match. Both games between these teams in weeks four and 14 were decided by three points. The game in week four went into overtime, so we could expect another close game here. After losing five of their first six games, the Colts won nine of their last 10 to sneak into the playoffs. The Texans are two and two in their last four, but they strung together nine straight wins before that, and they won the AFC South for the third time in four years, which actually feels surprising. I don't think of this team as being a dominant team, but they've won their division in three of the last four years, which I I think is pretty impressive. Chris, what are you thinking with this game? Well, you know, I love the this Texans. This is the game we're going to fight about. We're going to, I mean. Yeah, 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 easily. I mean, you know, well, it's, first I want to say, you know, I feel bad for the guy. I, I don't know if you remember on Twitter. Uh, I think it was the week we had that uh, discussion on the pod about who would win the AFC South. And I think I was going with the Texans. You were going with the Colts. And uh, some, somebody tweeted us after that debate and was just really upset that we didn't give the Titans they're, they're just due. And, you know, I really felt bad because, you know, sitting here, of course, the Texans end up winning the division and then the Colts Titans are playing on, on the last week. And, you know, the Titans are, again, the odd team out. And, and a year after, you know, two years in a row, they make the playoffs with Mike Malarkey and then yeah. fire him. And, of course, they don't. But um, as far as this game. They miss that Malarkey magic. Ugh, I mean, now he's gonna now now the Falcons are thinking of replacing Sarkeesian with him. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. are you yeah. kidding me? But anyway, love the Texans. Uh, did take out some bets on them to win the Super Bowl at uh, sixteen to one a few weeks ago. So still, you know, obviously a fan of, of what they're doing. And in this game, I do think it's a toss up. Though I think 
you know, both of these teams won by three on the road in their, uh, yeah. in their two divisional meetings this year. But I, when I look at this game, I, I see, you know, Andrew Luck is kind of like, I think everyone, we're kind of looking at Andrew Luck as like the guy who really puts the Colts on top here because, you know, he had an amazing season, of course, coming, coming back off the, uh, the absence. But when you look a little closer, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of reason to trust Deshaun Watson just as much or even more so than Andrew Luck. You know, first, first of all, you know, I just think in a nutshell, like Watson's play has been a little bit more even across all situations. Whereas when you look at Luck's numbers, for example, this season, Luck has at home 21 touchdowns, five picks, 7.8 yards per attempt. When he goes on the road, 18 touchdowns, but 10 interceptions. So that's double. Um, and he's down to 6.6 yards per attempt. Watson, 13 touchdowns for at home, 8.2 yards per attempt. And on the road, 13 touchdowns, five picks, 8.3 yards per attempt. So, um, you know, Watson kind of stays the same wherever. And then when you look at, you know, even though, you know, Luck's really been good at third downs and in the red zone, number one, third down offense, number five, red zone offense. But when you look at those, those numbers, that means that also means that, you know, the performance on first and second down has not has been somewhat of a struggle. So you know you, you, you kind of saw that come out in that six nothing defeat to the uh, to the Jaguars, um, where it's kind of like there's a low I think a little bit of a lower floor to this offense. And then you know looking at some other thing like you know Watson outplayed Luck in that overtime period. You know Watson has led more fourth quarter comebacks, more game winner drives this season. Five of both second in the league. Luck has three each. Under pressure, Watson has been pressured at the highest rate in the league among quarterbacks with 250 or more dropbacks, um, and yet he has the highest passer rating in the league under pressure um, this season. Luck is middle of the pack, uh, 15th in terms of passer rating under pressure. So um, there's a few different situations where I think you know there's a chance that you know that Watson is actually the the difference maker because I think it really the real trouble with Houston's offense and why their numbers aren't completely you know off the charts is because the offensive line and, and how many – you know, Watson took a league-leading you know, number of sacks, I believe it was 64, and, you know, that, that's obviously going to, to, to be trouble. But the Colts really haven't had much of, much of a pass rush. For the most part, they are 29th in football outsiders' adjusted sack rate. So if that's not a problem in this game, I think that, you know, Watson has a real chance, and this passing offense has a real chance to kind of outperform what the Colts did. Um, you know, both of these pass defenses kind of shaky – both of these defenses are a lot better against the run, but even, even, you know, like Watson without Will Fuller is another kind of point we, we talk about a lot, you know, his yards per attempt without Fuller 7.9 and uh, luck 7.2 overall for the whole season. So it, you know, if, if Watson's not getting sacked to kind of bring down that uh, net yards per attempt, I think that Houston can kind of, can kind of stick with Indianapolis in this game and, and put up, put up enough points to win it given that they are, you know, in their own building and at, and at home. So T.Y. Hilton, another one thing I worry about is, you know, I think T.Y. Hilton is, if you re- read the Action Network's betting guide for this game, uh, we're doing a biggest mismatch on each side of the ball for the playoffs. And T.Y. Hilton was my biggest mismatch on, on you know, against Houston. Yeah. He's completely destroyed. I mean, destroyed yeah. Houston. I mean, it's like, so he has five games in his career, regular season or postseason, without three, without, with, uh, with 175 or more receiving yards. Three of them have come against Houston, and not only against Houston, but in Houston. So it, it's kind of absurd, but I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the, the, the game last week where Hilton caught a short screen pass, 
And it looked like for it, like, I feel like a healthy Hilton run takes it to the house. It, yes. He caught it, he caught yeah. it at the, and it would have been a 90 yard touchdown. He ends up, it looks like he just, his ankle just gives out about half the way there. So it goes for a 43 yard gain. He hasn't practiced for a better part of a month. He is going to play, um, but he's obviously not a hundred percent. And I think that does kind of hurt the upside of this offense a little bit though, though I think Eric Ebron is still going to create massive problems for this Houston uh, defense. They, they were one of the worst teams against the tight end, but you know, you, the line here is down, um, which I think is, is, is somewhat fair given the toss up nature of this game. But now I've seen, I've seen Houston as a pick them in some spots. I grabbed that in the action network app. You can see that, but uh, you know, we're, I think we're officially going with the, what's the spread plus one or, I mean, Houston by one or one and a half right now. Yeah, Right now um, in, in our live odds page, we have one. Okay, so yeah, at Houston favored by only a point, given yeah. that they're at home, and I think they're still the team. I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. I'm going to roll with uh, with the Texans here, favored by a point. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I grabbed the Colts at two and a half. Wish I could have gotten it at three, but I, I still feel fine at two and a half. I see how this could be really a toss-up either way. But the one thing I do feel pretty confident in is the Colts' ability to score points. It's just a question of whether the Texans would score more points. You know what I mean? But I'm going with the, the team total of the Colts over 24. I think they have a pretty good chance at hitting it. But if I had to pick a side, I mean, I'm not going to pick the Texans. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to pick the Colts. And, I, and so, like, everything you said, like, I, I, I agree with it. And I think that's why it's a really close game. But even though the Colts don't have that great of a pass rush, they were still able to get seven sacks against Watson in week four, five sacks against him in week 14. I think the the bigger thing is not so much that they can't generate the pass rush. It's just that against any opponent that can generate even something close to an average pass rush, the Texans are just really bad, you know? So I think as long as they can be close to average, they should be able to get enough pressure on Watson to make a difference. And on the offensive side of the ball for the Colts, I agree with you that there's not much of a difference between Luck and Watson. Both of those guys this year, I would say, were like top five fantasy quarterbacks. Like, I think there's not much of a difference. There is a difference between Hopkins and Hilton, especially given that Hilton isn't fully healthy. But Hilton going against the Texans, I think there's not much of a huge difference there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be sacrilegious. You know, like Hopkins is, is a top two, top three receiver in the league. But like Hilton, he's just, he's very good on his own. He's very good indoors, very good against the Texans. You add all those things together. And I think he's like close enough where you can't say the Texans have a huge edge at wide receiver with Hopkins over Hilton. I think where the Colts really have the distinguishing factor here is that their defense is comparable enough to the Texans defense. Their offensive line is much better, has done a really good job of protecting Luck. And I don't even know if that's so much that the offensive line is that good. It's just that they do a really good job of scheming plays so that Luck doesn't take a a lot of hits or a lot of sacks. And then I think they are significantly better with Ebron versus whatever tight end the Texans are trotting out there and pretending is their number one tight end on any given week. They're better at running back. I think Mack is clearly better than Lamar Miller. And I think Naheem Hines is a real difference maker as a a change of pace guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. 
yeah, I, I think those those two guys with the offense, I, like for me, that's the difference between Indianapolis and Houston. The one thing I'll say is that, I mean, the one part I somewhat disagree with is Jake, just because the Texans um, like offensive line is, you know, isn't isn't good is that that's going to have like a major effect. Like I do agree, like Watson will take sacks, but him taking sacks is kind of like, like, for example, last year, like Watson's biggest issue was that he he turned the ball over too much he threw too many interceptions even though he threw so many touchdowns this year he's kind of replaced those kind of bad decisions with taking sacks and as I mentioned he's still the number one passer under pressure in the league you know so like he has made strides in that area to kind of make the best of this situation and I think you know that combined with the fact that the Texans are at home obviously you know it's easier to rush the passer when you're at home and so you know on, on both sides of the ball I think that could come in a little bit in some more little bit more into play and I think the one issue I you know with luck and 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 this could be the difference in what's you know two games have been decided by three points each is that luck's main issues have been turnovers yeah Um, you know like even against that in Tennessee I mean Tennessee was in that game because luck threw just a disgusting oh it was yeah that was horrible um deep in his own territory and if you look at luck's career playoff performances um he's had six playoff games he only has a 70.5 passer rating and that's because he has nine touchdowns to 12 interceptions yes Uh, that's two games I mean he's never had Frank Reich before (laughs) that's that's I think the big difference I mean, yeah, and I and I know I think Frank Wright gets a lot of credit because I, I think that comes out in that situational success, you know, with with the Colts being such a good team on third down, such a good team in the red zone. I think that's has a lot to do with Frank Wright. But I mean, over, I mean, these coaching staffs are both pretty good. I mean, Bill O'Brien, nine plus wins in, in four of his five seasons. You know, he worked under Belichick as a quarterback and an offensive coordinator coach for, you know, for five seasons. I mean, I think that both of these teams are are pretty well coach you know third time meeting I don't think there's going to be necessarily like a huge advantage either way in terms of coaching just because it's, yeah. it is the third meeting um you know O'Brien and, and his staff have more experience more of a track record but you know and Reich's you know they're, they're sharp as well so uh, you know it, again it could go either way but Texans at home I'm I'm taking them by a point I I, I do think that you know the one thing you worry about if, if you're worried about like the over under is that um the both of these run defenses have been very good this year and so if these teams end up trying to run the ball and it, and it doesn't work out there could end being some some third and longs and some punts but yeah I would lean toward the over as well the one thing that I I will say to your point about Watson he's thrown in the last 10 games only two interceptions in the the first six games he was a pretty interception prone guy throwing seven interceptions but since then he really has cleaned it up he has been much better at protecting the ball especially relative to to luck so that 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 is a key difference between them you know, a lot of people know this about me. I really do love Deshaun Watson, what he's been able to do through two years as, as a professional quarterback. I think one thing I, I really admire this year about, you know, him and, and what the Texans have done is that they've been able to adapt to, to being without Fuller. Because I feel like Fuller was such a difference maker for them with, with the kind of separation he got and just being a second guy to kind of, when you had DeAndre Hopkins on one side to, to really take some of the pressure off. But um, they've kind of morphed into a more run-heavy team. They've more, and, you know, still been able to have success and keep, you know, keep Watson's numbers up and keep their efficiency up even without Fuller and really nobody else. Cause I mean, Kiki Kute um, hasn't been in the lineup for most of most of the time without Watson. Um, looks like he is going to play, which, which could be another boon to the, to the Texans offense. And another reason that um, they might be able to, to kind of play better situationally, cause they're going to need to do that to keep up with the Colts. They're going to need to play better on third down and they're going to need to play better in the red zone and having just another guy um, in addition to like, the, <laughs> just like the, dark hole of tight end even though I mean the tight ends are solid but I mean no no one stands out 
of course, for, for the Texans with, with Griffin. And it looks like Jordan Akins has actually overtaken Jordan Thomas in terms of playing time. You know, Akins has been the one up there around 40% of the snaps running more routes than uh, Thomas over these past couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's enough for that game. We've, we've talked about it. Let's talk about the Saturday night game. Oh, man. The number five Seahawks at the number four Cowboys. Cowboys favored by one and a half, a 43-point over-under. The spread is down from two and a half. As the Sharps have backed the Seahawks, the total is up from 41 and a half. The Seahawks beat the Cowboys 24 to 13 in Seattle in week three as one and a half point favorites. Of course, that was before the Cowboys traded for wide receiver Amari Cooper. The Seahawks started the year four and five, but have won six of their last seven games. The low loss coming in overtime on the road to the divisional rival 49ers. Chris, you uh, remember that game, of course. Uh, (laughs) The Cowboys started the season three and four, but after acquiring Cooper, they went seven and two to claim the NFC East for the second time in three years. Chris, what are your thoughts on this game? I mean, I think the fact that it's in Dallas, you know, and not in Seattle makes it much more of an evenly matched game. I think it, you know, I'd be a lot more confident in the Seahawks if they were at home. I still do like the Seahawks here. So I'm taking them at uh, plus one and a half, even with Amari Cooper there for the Dallas Cowboys. We've still seen them have a, you know, a low floor at times. And, and, you know, like we saw them get shut out by the, the Indianapolis Colts. You know, we've seen Cooper. He's kind of, you know, the sample size of Cooper is still small, but, you know, over a larger sample size, you know, Cooper has just been very inconsistent, you know, and we've kind of seen that start to come out a little bit, even with the Cowboys where, you know, he did have that stretch, you know, he had, I think a down first game, but had some, had a, had a pretty uh, good stretch of games where he was, you know, catching a ton of passes. And then he had some down games as well. We've seen Seattle, their defense has been shaky all year long, which is why I've been willing to to kind of bet against them in certain spots. Like, as you mentioned, like with the 49ers, but uh, you know, I, I do remember in that Monday night game against the Minnesota Vikings when it really looked like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen could be could be difference makers in that game. And what Seattle did was they they essentially double teamed both of them, and, you know, on all like obvious passing situations. And I think you're going to see Seattle really sell out to take away Cooper on, on any type of similar situation. Now, I, I think Dallas will be able to run on Seattle, but we know that at the end of the day, passing is generally going to, to have a much bigger impact on this game. And I think on the other side of the ball, I mean, what Russell Wilson has done this year has just been absurd. I mean, the more I look at the numbers, he had 427 pass attempts this year and, and threw 35 touchdowns. That's a career high for him, you know, yeah. on 427 pass attempts, you know, you know, career high touchdowns tied for a career low with seven interceptions, you know, his adjusted yards per attempt, 9.0 passer rating 110. I mean, it, it was just an amazing season for him. And, you know, that combined with the postseason experience that he has, you know, 12 postseason games, eight and four record. Um, you know, this is only Dak's second game, although he played very well in his lone postseason appearance against the uh, the Green Bay Packers a couple of years ago, throwing for 300 yards and three scores. I just think that Wilson combined with, um, you know, Seattle kind of on defense, you know, not having a great defense, but having a defense that, you know, can kind of employ some tactics to, to take away some things for Dallas in the pass game. Um, Seattle also plays very, very strong against the tight end position. So that's good news because I, I think Blake Jarwin, I think he's another guy for Dallas that was starting to emerge down the stretch. And of course we saw him put up the monster game uh, against the the New York Giants in the final game of the season with over a hundred yards and, and three touchdowns in that game. But I think if Seattle kind of forces Dallas to, to look other ways besides Cooper, I think it's not going to be quite as easy 
um, for the Cowboys. So I, I'm just going to roll with – I'm rolling with Seattle off the strength of, of Wilson and, and, and the postseason experience and, and, you know, that they've been here before. But then, again, another one of these games that's just – it's really a toss-up. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm on Seattle at two and a half. I mean, so I'm a Cowboys fan, right? I mean, that's, that's embarrassing enough to say on its own. I feel like it's just like I'm in recovery for it. Like, yeah, I'm, my name's Matt. I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, the Cowboys, they're seven and two with Amari Cooper, but over that time, they've been outscored 201 to 199. Like, they that's invite games that are really close, you know? So it's a situation where, like, they seem like a team that is primed for some very rude postseason regression. You know what I mean? Like teams that get outscored but have winning records like that, they, they don't sustain. And uh, I am, I'm very much with you in the, uh, the admiration for Russell Wilson and how efficient he's been this year. And I don't think that the Cowboys are going to be in a good spot to stop his connection with Doug Baldwin or Tyler Lockett because they, they pretty much play sides. So Byron Jones is going to be on one side of the field, and I think they're just going to sacrifice David Moore or Jerron Brown or whoever it is that they want to put out there. And then Baldwin is going to be in the slot. Tyler Lockett is going to be on the other side of the field. And I think those two guys can win their matchups enough whenever they want to target them I think they are going to be able to run the ball effectively enough to give Russell Wilson manageable enough third down opportunities so yeah and then everything you mentioned his postseason experience and then I mean Pete Carroll like I don't think he's particularly great but he's better than Jason Garrett and so if I can have the side that has the better head coach and the better quarterback with like not much else separating the two teams, I'm going to take that side, especially in the postseason. Yeah, I think to your point about Pete Carroll, I mean, I think he's a very good coach at at like bigger picture things. Like he's he was one of the foremost kind of you know guys who who paid attention to like the sports science, the mental health for his players. Um, you know, always been able to kind of he's really good with those guys with like you know not as high draft pedigree, you know, chip on their shoulder type guys. But he, he's kind of struggled with certain like he needs good uh guys under him and he's not always had that like you know Daryl Bevel has kind of made some some bad decisions that have cost him and and um I think that you know he did really well this offseason to kind of overhaul you know he was losing the locker room too he had a lot of volatile a lot of strong personality players and I think they he did really good to kind of reel that back in while overhauling the coaching staff I think Mike Solari the the O-line coach you know replacing Tom Cable he's been able to get a lot out of that offensive line and you know it speaks to how successful they've been in the running game he also took a couple coordinators with perceived bad track records you know uh, Brian Schottenheimer of course and then um, Ken Norton you know bad track records but in bad situations Um, and kind of took them and he's gotten the most out of them and kind of made them look really really smart for for what he did with those guys as well so I think Carroll is a, a, a you know is a pretty solid coach at, at cert, in certain ways. Um, he's just more of a, a guy that like he's a head coach. He's overseeing right. the, the whole program, and he needs guys under him that are going to get it done. I think the Dallas coaching staff has made strides as well. I don't think they're quite as you know like at one point they were straight up laughing stock. I think yeah. they all got they're, better. They're not as clueless as they used to be. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's but it is funny that uh, you know Chris Richard, I think key hire for Dallas in the offseason actually spent, you know, his last eight years before right. that under Carroll. So, um, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it is uh, an advantage for, for the Seahawks and going back to the, the receivers. Yeah. I think, 
I think, you know, Dallas really, that's where they're going to struggle at the, you know, their outside corners are really good. And, um, you know, they, they're not quite as good on the inside and Baldwin Lockett plays the slot a lot. And I mean, it's the postseason, so I wouldn't even, you know, David Moore, he's, he's ran 85% of the routes in the last game, 78%. The game before, I mean, you know, postseason Russell Wilson, it's like, he, he throws up one of those contested catches to, to more in the end zone. And, you know, <laughs> who knows what will happen? Because, you know, he will probably be, like right. you said, single covered because, of course, Dallas has those, those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do like Seattle and, and I'm, I'm right with you. And, and so one more thing, you know, the Cowboys are a very run focused team. This week, one thing that's gone underreported is that Xavier Suafilo, their left guard, he was injured in their meaningless week 17 game. He's yet to practice this week. I think he's, you know, he's questionable at best, but, uh, you know, he hasn't even gone through walkthroughs this week. So I think he's trending toward doubtful, which means the team will have to start Connor Williams at left guard. They benched him in week 11 for Suafila because Williams has struggled so much in his rookie year. So if they already are missing their all pro center and starting a backup there, and then now they're starting a backup at left guard, that's that's a pretty significant weakness on the interior of their offensive line. It's not as if like uh, Puna Ford, who is an, an undrafted rookie, it's not as if like he's out there playing many snaps. But at this point, like he's playing like twenty-five to thirty-ish snaps per game, and he's doing really good work as a run-stuffing defender. You know, so like if he's going against two guys in the middle of the offensive line who are backups, who have poor PFF grades, who probably shouldn't be out there, like if they can be efficient enough at stopping the Cowboys when the Cowboys are like wanting to run the ball, that is a huge wrench in the Cowboys plans. So like, I think that's a really kind of like underreported thing, but like that could be like the matchup of the game. No, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, I think, and that, you know, again, it just speaks to the fact that, you know, Seattle's been getting the most out of, out of these guys on defense. And I mean, it's funny because you say, you know, meaningless week 17 game, but, but when you look at the snap rates, I mean, Amari Cooper played 85%. Dak Prescott was in there the whole game. I mean, it seems like the only player they consider important on his team is Ezekiel Elliott. So who is know. literally the least important person on the team. I mean, I, not, not literally, not, not literally. He's not literally. <laughs> not, like, not at all. You know what I'm saying? No, like, I don't. You know Wait, what I'm no, saying? No, no, no. I mean, I know the run game. I get it. Like the, the pass game is like four or five times statistically, you know, more correlated to the run game. But I mean, Zeke is one of the, he's, he's very he's important. important. He's they they important. throw like 20% of their passes to him. So it's like, he's important. He's very, very important. He's their best player. I mean, yeah. but I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. like the running back is like, you're going to rest the running back. You rest the quarterback and you rest, right. your, you know, your top receiver. So I, yeah, I totally get it. And I mean, that's why, I mean, I know you're to go to your point of being a tortured Cowboys fan. I saw this nugget from John Ewing that under Garrett, the Cowboys, they're, they're 35, 23, and 160% against the spread as an underdog, but uh, as a favorite, only 32, 45, and 3. That's a 42% cover yeah. rate against the spread. Yeah. And as a home favorite, 17, 32, and 1, which is a 35% cover rate against the spread. Yeah, no, uh, I'm aware. I'm aware. I have a spreadsheet that uh, I have just sort of like these various trends, and that is one of them. Garrett, as a home favorite, that's basically like an auto bet for me <laughs> against the Cowboys. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm painfully aware. Okay. We're going to get to our next segment right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks and action. Applebaum is all ears. 
This is the Sharp Report. NFL playoffs, AFC wildcard weekend. We are traveling to Baltimore for a showdown between the L.A. Chargers and Baltimore Ravens. The public sees L.A. Chargers 12-4 regular season record against the 10-6 Ravens, and they say, give me the points. This game opened at Baltimore as a minus three, three-point home favorite. Currently, 70% of bets are grabbing the points with the Chargers. Wise guys are going the other way. They knew the public would hammer the Chargers getting the points. They waited for this line to fall from three down to two or one at some books. That's when they hammered Baltimore. Using our Sports Insights bet signals, we tracked two different reverse line moves on Baltimore at minus one. This overload of sharp action caused Baltimore to go back up to minus two and a half or minus three across the market. So even though the public will be grabbing the points of the Chargers, Sharps are buying low on Baltimore as long as you can get off the key number and get Baltimore at minus two and a half or less or even a possible money line play. Go Ravens. Okay, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. Chris, the Saturday slate, the two games we just broke down, let's look at that from a DFS perspective. Let's start at the quarterbacks. The main guys, really, I think it's going to come down to Deshaun Watson versus Andrew Luck. And we we talked about those guys. I believe that in the Action Network rankings, they are the two guys we have ranked the highest. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I'm actually playing with, with with using a cheaper quarterback on this on the two game slate because I mean, there's a lot of there's guys that you really want to get like you want to get DeAndre Hopkins in there. As much as uh, Jarwin had, you know, kind of had his breakout at tight end and, you know, got, kind of was happening for the last couple of weeks here. You still have to get Ebron here because he could, you know, he could score two, three yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. So you want him. You, you maybe even want to try to get Hilton in there, although it's it's like because his ankle is a little gimpy, you know, the, the risk of like an in-game aggravation or something like that. As much as I love him against Houston, maybe you just kind of go with Hopkins as your one lone receiver. But there's a lot of guys at other positions that you kind of feel good about. And then there's like not many other options that you feel good about at all. Like at wide receiver, it's like Hopkins, Hilton, you have, and then you have like, uh, you know, you have the Seattle guys, but then it's like, there's like a really big drop off after that. So I'm actually considering, I don't mind going with Russell Wilson at court, especially since it is the post postseason Russ and, you know, 35 touchdowns. We know, you know, as much as the low volume passing game, um, has been, you know, a key component of Seattle's offense. I mean, again, career high, 35 touchdown passes. So you, you can't really be too scared of, of Wilson going against this defense. And the Cowboys are a uh, more of a kind of pass funnel, at least from an efficiency standpoint, because they ranked number five in run defense DVOA, but number 16 against the pass. So I'm, I'm strongly considering actually using Wilson in that, in that quarterback spot over Watson or what, because Watson is uh, $1,000 more than, than Wilson on on DraftKings and and then Luck is uh, seven hundred more. And if you look at the the labs models, like yeah, Wilson actually does have the lowest uh, projected plus minus. But you know, I think that you know just from from the standpoint of you know his past performance and whatnot, like I, I feel comfortable going with him at a position that's it's going to generally be kind of close. I think this week, like there aren't, there's not like a huge difference, I think, between these four guys because Watson and Luck, like they're, you know, they could, there are, there is downside with these guys. Like Watson, you know, he could end up taking a lot of sacks. It could get to kind of more of a lower scoring game. Luck is, you know, very turnover prone. So that could, you know, that could get ugly as well. And and Mac has been a lot more involved in, in recent weeks too. So um, I'm fine with Wilson. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. 
I don't mind that, especially because I think that people, I mean, it's a, it's a two game slate. So I think you really have to pick your, your spots where you're going to be like, this is where I'm planting my flag. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, because it's a two game slate and because we have this game Colts at Houston, which uh, has a much higher game total. I think a lot of people are going to be drawn to that into one of those two quarterbacks. So uh, I think Wilson will be the guy out of those three who will have the lowest ownership, but his, his ceiling, I mean, because of volume, people won't think that his ceiling is as high, but like, I think his ceiling really is just as high because he does have like, he has three touchdown upside. Like he clearly has that and he has the ability to run for a lot of yards too. So, so there's a lot to like. And one, one, you know, one final point on that. And, you know, this goes back to just, you know, kind of quarterbacks in general. So like one thing I love to do when I'm, when I'm making lineups and when I'm trying to figure out you know, what, what's the best roster construction way to go is I'm sure people that read the, uh, the breakdowns on lab, fantasy labs every week premium kind of know about is that go to our models sort by the flex, right. And, and you sort by salary in the flex. Right. And so if you look at the players in the, in Wilson's price range, you have Marlon Mack at 6K on DraftKings. He's project. We haven't projected for just under 13 DraftKings points. Then you have the next player after that is Tyler Lockett. He's at 5,300, and he's projected for just under 12 DraftKings points. Russell Wilson in the middle there at 5,700 at quarterback. He's projected for over 17 DraftKings points. So when you look at it from a roster construction standpoint quarterback is clearly the position that if you pay down you're still getting the most points out of that particular salary range so like usually when there's not like you know a ton of value to be had at the other positions um, it is going to make sense to pay down at a position like quarterback where you're still getting way more points than if you pay down at at a different position or use a player in that salary range at a different position right yeah let's talk about running backs because i think for this this particular slate, the big question that people are going to have, and maybe it's not even that big of a question, is like, do you go with Ezekiel Elliott and commit that much salary yes. to the running back position or not? Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think you locked him in. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's been like, I think there was like this, there's this jam them in heyday, I think, in the, uh, I want to say circa 2016, when you had like Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, David Johnson every yeah. week. Like, yeah. Every week they would cost like, ten thousand dollars and uh, but you know they, they would obviously be the highest projected players on the slate you know now with you still had girlies this year but like in general this year it's been a little better and um you know on the slate obviously the highest salaried player on DraftKings is elliot at 9k then you have hopkins at at 8700 like i've actually become i think back in the day it was you know it wasn't as smart to always jam those guys in at those salaries but like I've become a lot bigger proponent of the jam in strategy because it's just when you start to look back and, you know, you can use our trends tool, our NFL trends tool at fantasy labs and kind of look at the performance of, of some of these high salary guys. And you're just fine that like when you have like the top, you know, two, three, four, five players on the slate and uh, you know, guys projected for over 20 points in terms of median and the, the highest ceiling players on the slate. And you just look at their performance. They're so much more likely to, to not only hit value, but, all, but, but actually put up a monster game than anyone in that kind of next tier. So like on this slate, like, yeah, I'm sure you could make a lineup uh, maybe a little more, you know, balanced, you know, if you, if you use like, you know, Carson and, and Lamar Miller and a value running back in the flex, or, or, you know, you go with the more balanced receiving core with like Baldwin and, and some other guys. I think that, you know, Elliott and Hopkins are still going to be locks for me just because like there's a huge gap. 
like if you look at I'm, I won't even quote I won't tell you the exact projected points so you guys got to subscribe to Fantasy Labs for that you know Sean Corner of course doing an excellent job with the projections there but um, I'll just say that there's nearly a five point gap between Elliot Hopkins and then the next highest projected uh, you know flex eligible player and you know that just really um, I think it's really important to kind of lock those guys in and then you kind of take your your punt more so at, at a position like quarterback where even though you're not getting the top guy at that position again you're getting the top guy in that salary range even when you are punting. Yeah, and to your point about the difference between Zeke and Hopkins and the guys underneath them, that difference is even magnified when you look at their ceiling projections. So yep. like you, you definitely uh, you, you want to lock in Zeke. So I, I think looking at wide receiver, one of the questions is if you're paying up for Zeke and you're paying up for Hopkins, and if you are likely – uh, we can talk about tight end later, but likely to pay up for Ebron. What are you doing at wide receiver to uh, to save some money? So, and this is this is assuming that he plays, but I think I'm going to end up rolling with with, with Kiki Kute yeah. at one of the spots because he's a guy who, yes, he's been out for a, a long while, but I think because of as you mentioned, the Texans not really having a lot at wide receiver, I think they are going to actually be willing to, to insert him right back into his role as, as essentially the, the main slot receiver. And I think they could perhaps even give him snaps uh, as the number two receiver on early downs. And we've just seen Kute. I mean, his first game as a, as a pro, he, he caught 11 of 15 for 109 against these same Colts. And his second game, he caught six, six of seven for 51 in the touchdown. Then, you know, he, he also had a five catch game on nine targets a little later on. So injuries were kind of bugging him in between there for the most part. But um, he's shown kind of the ability to have to, to have a high volume role in a game where we do expect some points to be scored on a team where there aren't really many options outside of Hopkins. And I think the Colts and, and Matt Eberflus did actually do a really good job of containing Hopkins in the last meeting. You know, he, four catches on 10 targets for 36 yards did catch uh, a touchdown to pull him within three in, in the fourth quarter with 237 remaining. So, you know, I don't think you're fading Hopkins by any means because of that. Um, I think, you know, his floor, even when he's contained, is still very high. But, um, you know, the Colts broke up three passes in that game. Just had, I think, a, a much improved game plan. So I think there will be a need for a second guy to stand up, uh, step up. And I'm not sure, you know, DeAndre Carter is another guy that, you know, you have Carter and you have Vincent Smith. Carter is kind of more of the slot guy. So I worry a little bit about, because if Kute is coming back, I worry that Carter may be the odd man out rather than him moving outside. So, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm fine with playing Kute at one of those spots. And then at another one of the spots, it's probably going to be, if, if I pay up for guys, probably going to be uh, one of the Colts receivers. I'm, you know, Dontrell Inman uh, ran 85% of the, of the pass routes in the last game. So I think, you know, he's, he's probably an option, but it's really just going to come down to roster construction and what, how much you can kind of maximize at that last position. But I think that that's the way I would go if I'm paying up uh, for, for Zeke and, uh, and Hopkins. All right, let's look uh, quickly at tight end. I mean, it's, it's Ebron or Jarwin or like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I think I, that Ebron's another guy that, or another reason why I think I'm, I'm going to end up paying down at two wide receiver spots yeah. because I really want to get, I want to get Ebron in there. I mean, you know, he's just, you know, he's, he's Luck's go-to guy in the red zone and he's a guy where I know T.Y. Hilton's going to be very popular, but you know, Hilton's more of the yardage guy. You know, he's the guy, he's a guy that he's a better, he's a great bet for yardage, not quite as good of a bet for touchdowns. And so that's a way to kind of, if you're, especially if you're fading Hilton and going with Hopkins as your lone 
stud wide receiver is kind of a way to get some leverage there. And, 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 and if you're also fading luck as well, which I probably yeah. will do in cash games, I think getting Ebron in there is going to be key because, you know, Houston, the number 23 team in terms of DVOA to, against the tight end position and, uh, you know, football outsiders also does the schedule adjusted uh, targets and yards per games to these positions and uh, 71.7 yards per game schedule adjusted uh, allowed to tight ends by Houston is the second most in the league. So really like Ebron in this spot, especially with a uh, banged up Hilton. Okay. Uh, We are going to talk about the Sunday games right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend-based sports betting insight. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with trend of the week. The Chicago Bears are a surprise NFL playoff team. A season after winning five games, Matt Nagy's squad went 12-4 and won the NFC North. Expectations are high for the Bears as the odds makers opened them as seven-point favorites over the Eagles on Sunday. But history suggests the team could struggle after dramatic year-to-year improvement. Since 1990, 25 other franchises have enjoyed a win total improvement of seven or more games from one season to the next, like the Bears. In the playoffs, those teams went 11-24 against the spread, a 31% win rate. A majority of spread tickets are on the Bears, but the line has moved from Chicago minus 7 to minus 6. When the line moves in the opposite direction of the betting percentages, this is called reverse line movement and is an indication of smart money on the Eagles. Okay, that was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, let's talk about these Sunday games. We have the... Fifth seed of Chargers going against the number four Ravens. The Ravens favored right now by three, a 41.5 over under. The total is down from 42. There has been a little bit of vacillation back and forth on that line, but it opened at three and it currently is at three. This is a rematch of the week 16 game in which the Ravens took it to the Chargers, winning on the road 22 to 10. Now the Ravens are at home. They went four and five with Joe Flacco before the bye week. They made the injury-prompted change to Lamar Jackson after the bye, and they finished the season on a 6-1 and run. Their only loss with Jackson was on the road in Kansas City, and they lost by a field goal in overtime. They've been pretty impressive as a team with him so far. The Chargers, they tied with the Chiefs in records, but they fell to the wild card spot because they have the inferior divisional record. Real shame for them. After starting one and two, they finished the year on an 11 and two run. So we have two very hot teams facing each other right now. What is your opinion? I mean, these AFC players are just, they have way (laughs) too many players that I, I mean, teams and players and quarterbacks that I just love. I mean, I I love the Texans. I love, you know, everyone knows I love the the Chiefs from the jump. You know, and the Ravens are another team. I just love these guys right now. I mean, I think Lamar Jackson, I think he's really proven – he started to prove himself. And this team and this, this scheme with Lamar is starting to prove itself. You know, I was, I was skeptical, you know, as it kind of started out with – they faced literally the five worst defenses in the league in Jackson's first five starts. But I think seeing them go on the road and, and beat the Chargers was kind of eye-opening for me anyway. And, you know, when you look at Jackson, like, yes, it's a, it's a very kind of weird offense. It's an extreme volume rushing attack. And Jackson's not attempting even 30 passes, but they've been able to make it work. And a lot of the concerns you kind of have about a quarterback like that, such as, okay, you know, this could be an issue if they, you know, they kind of get down in a game and they have to throw a little more as than usual. Um, when I started to do a deeper dive into the numbers, it, it really, there's not, like Jackson 
that really doesn't look like it's going to be as much of an issue as you might, you know, suspect. I mean, Jackson is number 10 in uh, passer rating under pressure among quarterbacks with 200 or more dropbacks. If you look at the pro football focus numbers, Rivers, they're at seven. But um, then you you look at, all right, Jackson's performance. He's actually been a lot better, you know, when trailing. He has a 118.7 passer rating. When he's leading, it's actually 56.7. He's got a better passer rating in the second half, 104.9, than the first half, 72.4. He's been great in the fourth quarter, 120.4 passer rating. And it's actually been Rivers has been the guy who has struggled a bit in those situations, he's got, uh, you know, his pass rating of the four quarters, 97.1 in the fourth is the worst for him. When there's less than four minutes remaining and his team is trailing, that drops to 77.7 in the fourth quarter with less than two minutes remaining. And he's, and his team is trailing rivers passer rating drops to 52.1. And, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I mean, something, I don't know if it's because of the, you know, the running game has kind of been banged up over these last couple of games, but I mean, over these last three games, Philip rivers, something's been off with him. You know, he had 9.1 yards in attempt, 2.2 touchdowns, only a half interception per game over his first 13. And he only got sacked 1.9 times a game over that span. Over these last three, just 6.8 yards in attempt, one touchdown, two interceptions, multiple interceptions in all three of those games. And he's also taken three sacks a game over that span. So the running game is still not where it needs to be because you have Gordon banged up, got hurt late in that game. Again, again, we see them, you know, Gordon in a game where he probably shouldn't be in getting hurt. And, uh, and then you have Eckler also has an injury and this is a, a rush defense that's number six in DVOA. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on just you, am I crazy or is there something kind of a little bit off about this charger offense and that, that might not be able, they might not be able to correct against the Ravens. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is a really tough game for me to to look at. I bet a, a small position, but I did take the Chargers at plus three. But mm-hmm. I I just feel as if I'm going to lose. And like in my heart, I'm like the Ravens are going to win this game. Well, I think what is so impressive about the Ravens is that well, one they they did this change in the middle of the season, and maybe in some way that's kind of helped them because teams have had to just adjust on the fly, and they have such a difficult offense to prepare for just because it is unlike any other it's like the like teams that in college that run the triple option or something it's like oh we have to prepare for this one random offense that is unlike anything else we see throughout the season so they have that dynamic going for them the one thing that uh, and and then they also have a really good defense to pair with that which makes it hard i think for for teams to beat them like they are they are always in games because of, of the way that their offense complements their defense. I think one thing that they do have, they being at this point, the, the Chargers, that they do have going in their favor is that they did already play the Ravens once. And, and that actually kind of dovetails in with the struggles that they've had in the last three weeks. On the road at Kansas, second game in division, going against a, I mean, Kansas's defense isn't good, but they can generate a pass rush. So, you know, I, I think you can sort of excuse what happens on the road in division late in the season. Uh, and they won that game, by the way. They won that yeah, game. So right, like, let's give them right. credit. Here. Like, it, was, it, was, it was a bad, you know, Rivers threw two picks and they got in a big hole and that wasn't good, but they did win. So, I mean, right. give them credit for that. Right. Yeah. So, like, there, there are three games in which they've struggled. One was against the Ravens in, in this kind of, you know, tough game going against a good defense. And then the other two games are on the road late in the season against divisional opponents. So, like, I can kind of understand it either way. And 
I mean, it's, I don't think the offense has looked great, but I think like it's a, it's a small sample and I think it's an explainable sample. So like if there are chargers truthers out there, like I think they can explain it away and, and feel maybe comfortable enough taking the plus three, knowing that they are basically just as good as the team that has the number one seed. I, I think the question is like, do you think that the chargers are almost as good or just as good as, as the chiefs? All right, so you know every week we do the uh, the betting guides for each game, and for Ravens Chargers, my assignment was which quarterback do you trust more, and also the the coaching staffs. And so when I started to to do my research, you know, I you know I usually bet games like later in the week. I'm not one of those big like jump on lines early because I do like to do my research. So um, it's a, it's more rare when I jump on lines early, but I I just expected to like the Chargers a lot because again, I think to your point, like they it's their second matchup with the Ravens. And that's something that in addition to Lamar Jackson playing just this, this very easy schedule, um, no team had really been able to prepare for him twice. Right. So I was thinking, okay, that, and then you had, we have an article on action network.com uh, slash NFL right now that talks about how, you know, the Chargers are the trendiest pick of the weekend. And, and not only are they the trendiest pick, you know, getting over 60% of the bets right now, but they're also the tr- a trendy underdog, right? Like they're, they're the underdog and they're getting this kind of action. And um, yeah, so that I, makes me feel really nervous. Right. And, and, but, but what's crazy is that, you know, if, you know, if you read the article, you know, the, the main upshot of it is that this has actually been a profitable spot in the playoffs. Unlike the regular season, you know, where usually, you know, fading the public is uh, more often than not going to be uh, profitable um, relative to doing the opposite in the playoffs, in the NFL playoffs, it actually, you know, went, the public tends to be on, on the right side when they are on the side of a, of a trendy underdog or whatnot. So for all these reasons, anyway, I expected to like the Chargers. And then I'm looking into it, and it's I do agree that the, the, the three-game sample is somewhat explainable based on their opponents, but that's the point. Like, this, this game is against right. the Ravens, and it's right. just a brutal matchup because the Chargers are essentially on defense. They're built to stop the pass. They have good cornerbacks. They have good pass rushers. They're good at, like, funneling the ball to, you know, the middle of the field. And, you know, they have, they, you know, they have Durant James, they have, you know, they have a lot of just a lot of guys that can, um, you know, cause problems for other teams against the pass against the run. They're not as bad as they were in years past. They're pretty average at this point against the run, but we know the run, you know, there's not a big difference between, you know, like four yards right. for carry 4.3, three point, whatever. It's like, it's the same thing at the end of the day, teams are going to need to pass. But like the fact that the Ravens are going to be able to run this, this high volume run rushing attack and the chargers are missing linebackers now. Like they're missing, first of all, they're missing, right. Corey, you know, he's a, he's like their best run defender in terms of PFF grade. Then they're missing, uh, who's it? Jatavis Brown and, uh, and Denzel Perryman, Denzel Perryman. Those are their two highest volume defenders in terms of run, run defense snaps this season. Looks like, the, you know, like those guys are out. So you just have a, situ- it's just like not an ideal situation from that standpoint. And then like on the other side, you have the running backs banged up you know, for the Chargers and, and, and a good run defense, like for a team that, and then you, Baltimore, obviously a good pass defense as well. Um, the Chargers are, you know, a very good offense, but I mean, this is Baltimore is you know, tied for number one in the league in yards per play allowed. And it's in Baltimore, right? So right. And Philip Rivers is a statue. And so he's thrown multiple interceptions in his last three games. If he gets, if he gets pressured, you know, the chances of that happening again are reasonably high. So like, you know, it's just a tough, matchup for the Chargers because I was ready to jump on them like I'm not gonna lie like just like you like I was ready to jump on them at that line and like now I'm thinking that you know they're they're a trendy dog they're, the money's kind of on them too right now 
I'm thinking that the line might go down and I'm, I'm just waiting now at this point to, to bet the Ravens because I mean, I do agree with everything. I I've been a lot more trend-based and it's, it's been profitable for me this season, you know, kind of looking at like action network and all our trends. But I mean, I just can't find a reason to bet it against the Ravens at this point. Like I just can't, I just don't, it's just like literally I think the worst matchup that the Chargers could have drawn in the yeah. playoffs and in the entire, just in the entire league, essentially. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone wants to play the Ravens. And so for me, I, and I should say like for, for my official pick, I'm going under 41 and a half. I don't, same. I don't know if we hit a kind of, yeah. Because, yeah. Because yeah, I think that, again, like the Chargers are built on, on, on offense, they're built on pass offense. And, and when, and when they have kind of gotten to higher scoring games, it's been, they, they've like, we've seen them come back, you know, against the chiefs. We've seen, you know, there's been these games where they can kind of throw their way back into games, even if they get down. And I just don't think they, they're going to be able to do that against the Ravens. And that combined with the Ravens, yeah. being a high volume run team, that's going to kind of control the football. Man, I, yeah. I love yeah. the, un, I love the under, but I'm, I'm also, I'm liking the Ravens more and more, the more, the more I, uh, I look into it. Yeah. And I'm with you there. For me, it was a sort of like just a quick draw. Like I see a plus three. I see the Chargers as the team that I think like might be better, even though they're on the road, like kind of like matchup agnostic. I think they might be the better team. And I see them getting plus three. And my thought was, okay, I'm going to take a small position on it now and then research knowing that I probably won't have the chance or I might not have the chance to get the plus three later in the week. So if my research shows that I like the Chargers, then at least I bet the Chargers at plus three at probably better odds than I can get later. And if I don't like the Chargers later, it was just a small position and I can bet it on the other side when the line comes down. That was the thought there. But yeah, I'm with you under 41 and a half. Uh, I definitely like that bet. Okay, the final game, the world champion, sixth seeded Eagles at the third seeded Bears. The Bears favored by six, a 41 point over under. The spread is down from seven as the uh, Sharps have reportedly backed the Eagles. The total is down from 41 and a half. Starter Carson Wentz is out for the Eagles with a back injury. So, so uh, Super Bowl MVP Nick Bowles will once again fill in. The Eagles are 4-1 and one with Foles this year. They've won five of their last six games, including three straight must-win games with Foles to close the year. The Bears have beat the Vikings in Week 17 to knock them out of the playoffs, choosing rather to face the Eagles this week instead of the Vikings two weeks in a row. The Bears won nine of their last ten games to win the NFC North for the first time since 2010, the Lovey Smith era. What are you doing, Chris, with this game? Oh, I'm hammering the Eagles. Yes. Hammering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. like hammering the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, it's first of all, just off the strength of this being, this is the, the largest spread of the four games on the slate. And yeah. I mean, you know, obviously every, this is the playoffs. Every team has a chance to win these games, a good, very good chance to win the games, which is why the other three games are, are close. And I think, like, listen, you know, I love, love the Bears. I think Matt Nagy deserves a lot of credit and, and, and Ryan Pace and, and just everyone in that organization for, for the quick turnaround, you know, from 5-11 and 11 to, to 12-4, and four, had a chance, to, you know, playing for a, essentially a first-round buy up, in, you know, up until the final week of the season. But, I mean, I think you have to be worried if you are a Chicago Bears fan because – and if, if you're a Chicago Bears better as well because – you know, we've seen uh, Nick Foles comes in here. They beat the Rams, who finished 13-3. and three. 
They beat the Texans who finished 11 and five. You know, we've seen Foles kind of have this magical playoff run last season where, you know, he throws for over uh, 900 yards, averages over 300 yards a game in, in the three game postseason run. He puts up 353 yards and three scores on the Vikings, which is like, you know, a, was like a top two defense, just like the Bears are this year. Now, granted, the one difference being that Philadelphia was at home for that game. But, you know, still, I, th- I believe Philadelphia was actually an underdog in that spot. So a lot of similarities between you know this year and last year and 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 with Foles in here this team is 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 a threat and I mean Foles at this point now essentially has better weapons than he had last year because you've added you know yeah you had Foles and and Jeffrey and and Aguilar last year but now you've added Golden Tate uh it looks like they might even have you know get Mike Wallace back for some snaps yeah too. Darren Sproles, right. So you have, and you know, you still have a, a, a solid, you know, again, running game, not making a huge difference, but I mean, you still have a solid running game. Um, you know, Adams has been, has been decent and, you know, the offensive line is solid. You still have, you know, some on the other side of the ball, you still have players on that interior and, and you have the, you know, have, you have the experience, you know, so like Matt Nagy, one of the, the best things about the bears and, and one of their assets is that, you know, they, they have Matt Nagy over here and look at how he kind of turned this team around that quickly. But and of course, Vic Fangio on the other side of the ball on defense, excellent as well. But um, the Eagles are very well coached as well. And, and not only are they well coached with, with Doug Peterson, you have Jim Schwartz um, looking over the defense, coordinating the defense, but they ha- they literally have just done this. They've just done this kind of come in improbable Super Bowl run with their backup quarterback, Nick Foles, beat a good defense along the way. And so, yes, the Bears should be favored. Should they be favored by six, five and a half, whatever spread um, we're seeing? I think it opened at seven. Not at all. Like, I think this game should be kind of in the same range as, as these other games, and it's not. So I love the Eagles. I think they have a real shot to win this game. And there's actually, you know, from a trend-based perspective as well, when you look at these turnarounds, um, since 1990, teams that uh, have made a seven-plus win improvement from the previous year, they are just 15 and 20 straight up in the playoffs. And then they're even worse against the spread, uh, 11 and 24. So that's a 31% cover rate. So, I mean, just so many reasons to back the Eagles in this spot in Chicago, even despite their uh, Chicago's wanted defense. Yeah. I'm with you on all of that. You know, you know how like in, inv- in investing, they talk about like having a moat or like, like margin of error. Yeah. Like my margin of error is that like, I think the Eagles could really win this game, but like, I'm, I'm not going to bet the money line on it. Like I, I don't need to. I mean, like in terms of like our little competition right here, you're know, like, I'm not going to bet the money line on it. I might be wrong on them covering so i'm i don't need to take the plus six like i feel like it's, it's stone cold lock that they can get 17 and a half points you know yeah. on, on the team total i wouldn't say stone cold like i feel better about this I, I still take the plus six over the their team total because i mean again like i think like january game in chicago kind of reminiscent of remember that game like the eagles played against Atlanta, I think it was in the opening yeah. round last year. Where that yeah. was a low-scoring game. Like, I think I don't think it's a lot because I think this game could just be a low-scoring game. I mean, we saw like the Eagles. All right, they they kind of held the Rams in check in LA. Yes, you know the Houston, but again, Houston, they're ballers. That's why they were able to put up some points. And, and then they shut out the Reds, the Josh Johnson Redskins, which you know isn't a big deal, but you know they took care of business and shut out a team that you know, they weren't supposed to give up a lot of points. So, I mean, this defense is kind of clicking at the right time. Like, I think I think we could just see a lower scoring game. So, like, I, I wouldn't say it's a – I wouldn't say, like, it's a lock that they can get over – I mean, yeah. Chicago I mean, is an excellent – I feel – Chicago, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for their yeah. defense. But uh, I just – I feel very confident in this offense. 
And I can see what you're saying. Like it could be a 14 to 10 yeah. game either way. It, it is in Chicago. There could be cold weather. I, I, I understand all of that. But, you know, like Foles has played in cold weather. Like it's – I don't think it will necessarily impact the Eagles the way that it would impact, I don't know, like the Saints or, or like a, a warm weather team. You know what I mean? I feel like the Eagles can play in cold weather. I, I don't know if people listen to, but they definitely should listen to, the, the Favorites podcast with Chad Millman. And on the Wednesday show, he has Bob Scucci on it. Uh, and Scooch said that at this point, they have <laughs> – I mean, it sounds crazy to say it, but they have Foles – as worth more to that team in, in terms of points than Carson Wentz, uh, at least the Wentz that they have seen this season. I think there's a, a very real chance that the, the Eagles win, but I, I, feel con- I think if they win, I think it's because they, they score points. I think their, their secondary is still suspect enough, and Matt Nagy is good enough as a play caller uh, to be able to exploit the, the weaknesses of the, the Eagles secondary. So I think if the Eagles win, it's because they, they put up a decent number of points. And 17 and a half is just so low. I mean, like a pick six, you know, from Trubisky mm-hmm. could, could mm-hmm. help them get there. Like I, there are just so many ways that they could get to 17 and a half. That's definitely fair. I mean, I, I do, I would worry about, I don't, I didn't like what I saw from this, from the the offense against like against the Niners, for example, they only scored a uh, 14 points. Now they did score 24 against the Vikings, but um, like if the Bears aren't scoring a lot of points, like I, I just yeah, I, I think it could be a, one of those lower scoring games. But I, I do get what you're saying. I mean, the Eagles, ugh, you know, they it's it's like I don't want them to have a deep postseason run because I I kind of want the Giants to get a to get Nick Foles, and I feel like every game that he uh, that that he that he every postseason game that he wins, his price just goes higher. Yeah, I mean, seriously, higher, let, but... let's step outside of this just for a second. <laughs> if Foles somehow wins a second Super Bowl, oh, I mean, like is is he a Hall of Famer at that point? Uh-huh. I know it sounds crazy to say that, but like, how do you not like put a guy like that who has like, because if he wins a Super Bowl, it's going to be another fantastic run. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, how do you put a guy like that who comes off the bench two years in a row to lead a team that seems dead to two Super Bowls? And then let's assume, you know, and, and then like years before that, he had had like a fantastic, near all time great type of season in the Chip Kelly era. And then let's assume he tacks on some seasons that are like, you know, at least league average on the back half of his career. Like, I don't know. He's probably not a Hall of Famer, but like there's a case to be made there. You know, he, I mean? he also had the, the 27 touchdown two interception, like ridiculous season. He put up the, what yeah. is he, he tied the touchdown record with seven touchdowns in a game. I think that year too. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, like his high, like his ceiling. Yeah. The, the only, I guess the only knock would be that, you know, during these runs, like it was, he didn't start many games, you know, yeah. he's only, he would only have started like a, a couple, a handful of, uh, of regular season games and most of the starts came in the postseason. So, I mean, I guess that's the thing you would knock him for, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting question given that like, you know, you're, you're talking about people like Eli probably ending up going to the hall of fame based on his two. Super yeah. Bowl yeah. I mean, I know Rocky is a fictional character. Don't tell anyone in Philadelphia that. But like if uh if Nick Foles wins another Super Bowl, like he's like he's the biggest person in Philadelphia history. And that includes like Benjamin Franklin, you know, like <laughs> he's you know oh, like he's he's like up in, in like the pantheon of like all time Philadelphia greats. Yeah, it's absurd. All right. We're going to talk about the Sunday slate from the DFS perspective right after Ian Harditz tells us about the key wildcard weekend coverage situations. 
the press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. The wild card round isn't expected to feature any wide receiver cornerback shadow matchups, although there's a chance the Colts have Pierre Desir once again follow DeAndre Hopkins as they did in their second matchup of the season. Either way, Hopkins is more than capable of roasting whoever he lines up against. Incredibly, this season, Hopkins had 115 receptions and zero drops. As for the Colts, T.Y. Hilton is set up just as well, if not better, indoors against the Texans defense. He's roasted throughout his entire career. Also, Dontrell Inman against Sharice Wright is another mismatch worth exploring in fantasy. Both Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup are set up well on the outside against Seahawks liability Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers, while the Seahawks will look to exploit the Cowboys inside with Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett against Anthony Brown, the Cowboys slot cornerback who is PFF's number 66 overall cornerback this season. The Ravens don't really throw the ball enough to explore their wide receivers, but Willie Sneed has been the most reliable guy in an unreliable passing game with Lamar Jackson under center. Meanwhile, the Chargers' best bet for success is Keenan Allen in the slot, as Tavon Young is the weak link of the Ravens' otherwise excellent secondary. For the Eagles and Bears, Alshon Jeffrey has been Nick Foles' number two receiver over these last three weeks. He's in position to really have a bunch of trouble against Prisim Okamura and Kyle Fuller, respectively. Golden Tavers, Sheriff McManus is the spot to look for. As for the Bears, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, and Anthony Miller are all set up incredibly well against Avante Maddox, Rasul Douglas, and Cravon LeBlanc and the Philadelphia Eagles injury-riddled secondary. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, let's talk about the Sunday slate. Let's look at the quarterbacks. It is really a wide-open group of guys here, whereas on the Saturday slate, it seems like most people will probably want either Luck or Watson. This slate, it's a, I think it's a little more wide open. What are you doing with this quarterback group? I don't think it's – I think it's going to be Lamar for me in this one. I, yeah. You know, when, when I, I just – He's just the guy I feel the most confident in at this point. I mean, I do, I like Trubisky as well. And I think the fact that he's going against this Eagle defense that has been vulnerable on the back end and, and Trubisky does run and add a lot with his rushing ability. I mean, I think there's a case to be made for him, but the fact that he is 300 more than Lamar Jackson, uh, that kind of changes it a little bit for me. I think on FanDuel, mate, you could make a better case you know, for Trubisky because he's five, you know, he's 500 less than Jackson. But if he's going to be more, if I'm getting Jackson for cheaper, uh, then I think I'm rolling with Jackson because again, I'm not really confident in Rivers based on what he's done lately or just based on the matchup and the fact that he's like such a statue and can't really add anything with his legs. And on top of that, he's becoming more turnover. He's like becoming his usual turnover prone self, I I guess I should say, um, late in the year. I don't feel great about him. And then like Foles, I could say, I think he's an excellent tournament play, probably the best tournament play on the slate or on on either of the two days in terms of uh, quarterbacks, Uh, you know, it's still going against the bears defense in a game that could be low scoring. So don't really like love taking a discount with him as much as I do with, with a guy like Russell Wilson, who's just been ridiculous, you know, with, you know, against everyone with, with, with low volume. So yeah, I think that just leaves me with Jackson by default. All right. Uh, as we're recording this, it looks like Melvin Gordon is going to play, um, yeah. but there is like the the ankle concerns. What are you doing at running back position? Is I mean, is Gordon sort of like this slate's equivalent of Ezekiel Elliott? You know, not not to the same extent. There's not as much of a. If you look at our models, for example, there's not as much as a. He still is the you know the highest projected non 
quarterback on the slate, but there's not really the same type of gap between him and and everybody else as there is between like Zeke and and, and everyone on, on the Saturday slate, but you're also getting a discount for Gordon. So I'm not opposed to using him. I just, he's not as like a, a much, as much of a jam a in guy for me as, as it would have been now. Eckler looks a little bit banged up as well. So that actually might be good news for Gordon because we, we, we have, you know, I think it was in the previous Ravens game. I believe Eckler was out. No, yeah, Eckler missed that game, right? Two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Gordon uh, was in for, you know, got most of the usage in that game. I think uh, if, if Eckler's at less than 100%, I think Gordon will still get a ton of usage, but not like a great spot for him in terms of his number one asset is always going to be the fact that he just scores a ridiculous amount of touchdowns. And this is not one of those games where um, you're really expecting a lot of touchdowns, but at the same time, he was able to kind of get to the end zone against the Ravens. But I mean, they really, held, and, they, and they do this with running backs in general, but they held him in check in the passing game, you know, 13 yards on three targets, held him in check on the running game, you know, 41 yards on 12 carries. So I just think he's in a good spot because of volume more so than, because he's like, you know, it's like this smash spot for him. So I'm not opposed to going away from him, though. He'll probably still end up in in my lineup. Any other running backs who kind of catch your eye? I mean, I think Kenneth Dixon is becoming more like he's an interesting kind of lower cost play. I mean, both Ravens running backs, really, Gus yeah. Edwards and Dixon. But it's kind of been moving toward Dixon over these past few weeks in terms of the usage. And the, Dixon's getting more and more and more involved as we go forward and so I think that you know last week if you look at the uh the rushing attempts they were the backfield attempts were essentially split they were split 50 50 between Edwards and Dixon and so you know being that Dixon's the lower price guy and uh he can give you a little bit more in the passing game as well I think he's a guy you really start to have to consider especially with the Bears backs I think Tariq Cohen will probably be like if you're getting off Gordon you probably want to go with with Tariq Cohen because he gives you some of that passing uh that receiving upside but he's he's been getting less rushing work than, than usual. Like his percentage of backfield carries has been in the, the 20% range over these past few games. Whereas for the season, it's been more so in that in the 30% range. So I'm not sure if that's you know short sample trend or what, but um, then you have Jordan Howard, who's another guy kind of like Gus Edwards, where, you know, because he's a home favorite, you don't, you're not really too opposed, but now he's kind of, he's priced up a bit after the big game against Minnesota. So he's 5,800. And for a guy that doesn't catch passes, you don't really like, you don't really like that either. So, I think that like you can definitely make a case to use a guy like Dixon even in in cash games just based on um, the recent usage trends. Okay, let's go to wide receiver. Uh, Keenan Allen is the guy who's standing out at the top of the salary scale, but obviously a tough matchup, but uh, not quite as bad as you mentioned because he's going against Tavon Young in the slot. What are you looking to do at wide receiver? Yeah, I think like I think Allen is going to be is more of a priority for me than than Gordon because. And I think you can easily get both of them, and I would have no problem playing both of them. And I think um, I might end up doing that. But, you know, Allen just the volume for him, because as you mentioned, slot receiver, especially on DraftKings, where, you know, you're getting a point per reception. And if you happen to hit that 100 yard bonus, you get another three. He could, he, he has a more, he has like a lot of avenues to still be productive. I mean, he could kind of get inefficient high percentage, you know, inefficient in terms of yardage, but still high percentage targets that turn into catches and, and get a lot of catches that way. Um, the, the, the chargers could end up struggling again and they'll just, you know, they'll just need to throw a high volume of, of passes, which of course helps Allen cause he's seeing more than uh, more than 25% of the team's targets um, when he's active. So I really, I do like Allen in this spot again, not a smash spot for him. He only put up, what was it? Five catches for 
58 yards on eight targets in the previous meeting, but um, that's still you know, at 7,300 on draft. He's been priced down. I think it's very fair price for his kind of floor ceiling. All right. Any other wide receivers kind of catch your eye here? Um, you know, it's, it's tough because you, you can't. It's a, it's a kind of nasty oh. slate here. Uh, yeah. Cause the, I mean, the bears guys are really, I think the guys you would be looking at, but they're all banged up. Right. Like all of them are going to play. So I think Robinson still is eye catching just based off the fact that the Eagles have struggled uh, a ton against receivers, particularly number one wide receivers. They actually give up the most schedule adjusted yards in the league to number one wide receivers at 90.2 per game uh, per football outsiders. Also the second most targets uh, schedule adjusted at 9.9. So Robinson is a guy that he's kind of eye catching, but he's not like, he's still not a, a lock or anything like that. I don't think, I don't think anyone on the, on this slate is really a lock outside of, outside of Allen. Now the bears, you know, for the, on the, on the Eagle side, like the bears actually have given up more production, the wide receivers than you think, but now you have Alshon Jeffrey priced all the way up to, to 6,500. So I think, you know, I think I'm really going to probably try to get, to figure out a way to get, to get Robinson in. And then that third spot is probably is just going to be a, a punt play most likely because I don't even, you know, it's, Maybe, maybe, or maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to a guy like Taylor Gabriel, actually, you know, but it, it's, it's really tough. It's, it's not, it's not a great slate. I just don't want to touch the Ravens receivers because it's so hard. The, the volume is so low. Right. At tight end, I think one of the questions is, are you going with Zach Ertz or, I mean, cause it's not as if he has a, a great matchup, but the, the other tight end options on the slate aren't all that enticing either. I mean, you, I guess you have uh, Trey Burton in a, you know, hashtag revenge game going against the Eagles. But uh, are you are you locking in Ertz? Yeah, I think Ertz is definitely a guy I'm locking in because he's there's a, so it's kind of like the Ebron thing where it's it's there, there's still a huge gap between Ertz and and Burton and Burton has just been very unreliable. Yeah, uh, the Eagles also tend to cover the the position for the most part uh, relatively well. You know, they're number seven against in DVOA against tight ends this season. They've given up uh, only 44.4 schedule adjusted. Yards, obviously Chicago even better, number three and forty one point six schedule just yards. But I mean, you know, Ertz just has such a potential for high volume, and I mean, it's not it's not out of the question that Ertz ends up being like the highest scoring player on the slate, for right. example. And uh, you know, Burton, that's that's a lot less a lot less likely. But uh, I'm locking in Ertz. I don't, I'm not expecting great things, but again, you know, this is just a, this is playoffs. They're they're good defenses all around, so it's just a totally different kind of slate than than we're used to. Okay. I think that was a marathon episode. I'm apologizing in advance to the producer. Sorry about that, Matt. Chris, any final words? Let's get this money. That is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you again next episode.